attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason, and I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. Today's guest on the podcast, Brian Borstein. Brian Borstein, camper in the 60s and 70s, and staff man, and of course, uh, part of one of the most legendary stories in camp history, which we will certainly get into in the podcast. Before we get to that, a few notes. This is the end of OJ90 week. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in and listening all week. Uh, thank you for getting online, booking your tickets. Uh, go to OJ90.com, OJ90.com. Stop by there and uh, make sure you've done all the stuff. Let's, let's just get it done. Book your tickets. Book your hotel room. In fact, if you buy your tickets for the Saturday night event, OJ90, before the end of February, we're going to put you into a drawing, and we're going to draw 10 names out of a hat, the, ha- the only hat pick you've ever wanted to be part of, and the winners could get two free nights at Camp Ojibwa. So dig on that. Get in there. Get your tickets now and get to be part of that. Get yourself a free stay at camp in addition to coming to the greatest reunion, the biggest gathering we've ever had of Ojibwe alumni. Also, swing by the history site, campojibwehistory.org. If you have not gotten your brick yet, as I mentioned before, the bricks are going away. They're going away for good. We're closing up the program very soon, a couple of weeks. And if you've put it off, now's the time because we will not be offering them again. They won't be available next year or any time in the future. So head over there, get your commemorative brick now. All right, here we go. Brian Borstein on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride Please say your name and your years at Camp Ojibwa. Uh, my name is Brian Borstein. I started at camp in 1969. I was camper in cabins 1, 2, 3, 6, 9, 11, 13, 13, and then ended in 1977 as a counselor in cabin 1. Very nice. I, al- I also went to post camp for about 18 years. Oh, wow. Were you a post camper as a kid or, or later? As after? an adult. Ah, as an nice. Adult. Nice. So how do you first find out about Camp Ojibwa? How does it come into your life? So uh, one of my oldest, dearest friends, Steve Pollan, later known as Dutch Pollan, is, is he's known at camp. Uh, parents uh, knew the Schwartzes. Ah. And, uh, and I, Al and Mickey, I believe, I know it was Mickey, came over to the Pollan's house one, one time when we were eight years old about introducing us to camp. And, nice. uh, 
And uh, both our parents said yes, and we went. That's great. Did they bring like the fil- the film or slides or yeah, something like that? Yeah, it was the film, and uh, and I remember that they had uh, me and Dutch there watching. Then they excused us for the room so the, the adults <laughs> the adults could talk, and uh, and, uh, and and the and uh, the fate was sealed at that point. Is my yeah. guess. It's so funny uh, because these days I think that um, the eight year olds get a little more say. <laughs> Yes. Than the eight-year-olds used to. So it's so funny when I talk to guys who are a little older who are like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we watched the thing and then our parents made the decision. And yeah. nowadays it's like the eight-year-old makes all the decisions. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. You've seen it too, Chris, is is you can see the migration uh, of, of the people who went to camp just by looking at the plaque. So hmm. when we started in 1969, uh, there was a mix of kids from the city – from uh, Wilmette, Winnetka, Highland Park was now getting to be the northern part. But if you looked gotcha. at those plaques in 69, you went back 10 years, 15 years, you could see, because you knew the people, because they were then counselors or in the cabin 13, they were older. Sure. There was much more people from the city hmm. uh, and then moving north. And while eight-year-olds make decisions, the parents are making decisions then, uh, you know, there's a lot of migrations you can see. And I can just, if I go to my plaques, probably cabin one, then when I was a counselor, so that was whatever number of years later, you can see just where the difference of the people came from and the different types of people. And uh, there's a lot of migrations that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... uh I think in some ways it gave a more uh, rounded perspective to kids. Like it just gave a, you know, a broader perspective because kids were coming from different areas and living in different areas. So kids who had newly moved to the suburbs were still relating with kids who lived in the city and maybe they used to live in the city and things like that. Well, and the bus trips were, oh. the bus trips were so much more of a camp experience. I think that they are now mm. they had buses leaving from Adler planetarium. They had buses leaving from, uh, I think it was, Niles North or, or something like that. And there was buses leaving from Highland Park. And, uh, and while no one could communicate much, you know, everyone knew these buses were rolling in. And then they finally stopped halfway on the way up for lunch, which someone had driven down from camp to bring us sandwiches. Oh, nice. And that's when everybody started to kind of come together in the, in the, oh, so all the, the buses, excitement was building. All the buses yeah. met for lunch together. Yeah, yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so yeah. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was starting with the, the reunion. So you knew that people were seeing each other for the first time at Adler Planetarium, and then they were meeting in Highland Park, for instance. You had seen, and then you finally get to the lunches, then everyone gets to camp, and, and you, you got off the bus, and someone was there with a clipboard telling you, what cabin you were in it was all, all black box at that time and people were running to get the best bunk <laughs> and for whatever reason of course the best bunk was nearer to the counselors sure. uh that was always the coveted bunk or maybe the second one off you never near the bathroom or in the back <laughs> absolutely absolutely well i'm glad to see some things never change yes uh, right. even even in the era of cell phones and all of that so you took a uh no doubt a Keishan bus up no to doubt camp. yes 907 <laughs> nice um you took Keishan bus camp so as a young man and going up your first year what's the first thing you remember about getting to camp uh, well, on the way up, I remember uh, Dutch and I were sitting there. We were we were we were we were clueless. Had we we only knew each other. We were packed with candy, uh, <laughs> sure. sitting in the bus. And I do remember the very first person I've told him this subsequently. They came up to us and introduced themselves was Bob Knockman, mm. uh, and uh, he couldn't have been nicer and you know more accommodating. We didn't know, and 
Uh, now today, Bob is, a, is still a, a very good friend, and I see him you know, on a weekly basis. That's awesome. So going into cabin one, who were your count? Do you, oh, I well, mean, again, then getting back to camp. So here I am, of course, clueless, not knowing any of the tradition. And you know, we probably rolled out of Highland Park, and f- of course the first person yells, I see the far field. Uh, I have no idea what that means. Uh, uh, and then, and then uh, I do remember you know, seeing the far field because everybody was hanging out at the side of the bus looking at it. Mm. Then you get to the what was then the old Ojibwa sign. Oh, sure. Uh, nice. And everybody started you know, singing, here's the camp Ojibwa. Again, I don't, knew none of the words, but I remember, I remember it. And uh, um, uh, you know, I don't know why I thought any differently, but of course I was assigned Kevin one as I was like the fourth youngest camper at the time. <laughs> Do you uh, do you remember who your counselors were? Didn't they? Uh, yes, Gary Shapps, Larry Altshiller, and I forgot the last guy's name now. Nice. I think there were only had three. Well, it was Kevin. Maybe, maybe it was four. Yeah, I can remember <laughs> now. Yeah, right. Nice. So when you came to camp, were you yeah. already? Did you already like sports? Were you already into sports a little uh, bit? Not. You know, I would say that. Uh, uh, again, I didn't really. I, I knew that it was going to camp. I, I was. No, I was not as far into sports, certainly, as mm. I was as a result of camp when gotcha. it was all said and done. And what ended up being your sport of choice? Well, I was probably best known as a swimmer. Ah. And, uh, and I think in cabin one, uh, and, and fortunately for me, that probably it allowed me to escape from being a hat pick. <laughs> I won the, the, uh, the, uh, the Pioneer gold medal in swimming. And ah. I was young. Uh, I was young and, you know, competing against probably kids one, two, and three. So someone has some expectations and there was no expectation. So I think there was only two heats, but I won both of those heats. I won the gold medal, probably uh, then having swim points for being picked in collegiate week. <laughs> right. So I won many swim meets over the time. I was going to uh, say, that'll get you a cachet for two or three years, yeah, just that, like that. that. It was, yeah, there was. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was probably getting down to the bottom of the barrel and said, oh, who's the kid with 14 swim points? Nice. Uh, so... The, the, uh, over the years, of course, the, the camp day has changed, but the camp day has also stayed the same to some degree. So uh, tell me a little bit about what's the camp day like for a young camper? Uh, much more instruction. It was, there, was, there was much more instruction uh, than, uh, than there seemed to be near the, when it was near the end of camp. Mm. Uh, much more formalized uh, 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 types of instruction. Certainly... You know, no one will ever forget the riflery, which they finally got rid of. Ready on the right, ready on the left. Wow. Load and commence firing, fire at will. <laughs> uh, uh, but I remember, I remember uh, uh, the visit, first visiting weekend when parents had to trek up. Mm. And it was much longer because they did, the highways, you had to go through every little town, through, uh, through uh, 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 all of central um, uh, Wisconsin. So they would come up for like three days. We never left camp. They had it, you know, spit polished. We were, we were, we were all dressed up. They scrubbed us down as if, you know, we, you know, I probably went for the first four weeks not never brushing my teeth, <laughs> uh, uh, which is not an exaggeration. My, my dad actually tried to rub the dirt off my, my teeth so my mom wouldn't see. <laughs> uh, and uh, so we had instruction. I remember, uh, we were cabin one, and we had golf. We had never had golf instruction. I had never swung a club, but there were a couple kids that did, were swinging clubs. So sure. it was it was much more, uh, the the day that kind of stuff. There was a lot more instruction. I got you. So you got a little more broad. Uh, oh, you probably got the the achievement award certificates, right? Every, you fill in achi- everything. Achievement and... awards. That was for sure the achievement awards, and uh, and um, uh, you know the you know without knowing it, the instruction was. Probably wanted learning some of these things or some of the stuff that you took away 
that rounded you out for things you never would I probably never would have shot riflery. I probably never would have sure. shot uh, archer. Oh, my counselor. Yeah, my counselor was he, he uh, that freshman, not freshman, uh, first year. He was a big archer guy. He had oh. he had his own bow. He had his own uh, accoutrements. Uh, <laughs> wow. And uh, so he never would have shot archery, but also a lot of stuff at the waterfront besides swimming. A lot of stuff at the water, you know, learning to canoe, learning to. Uh, uh, rowboat learning to sail um you know that that instruction stuff i, I never probably would or rest of us never would have a chance to do it and it was yeah. we didn't you know it was it we probably didn't realize what we were uh getting at that time until yeah that's really well put because you you have that thing where down the road someone's like hey you're 25 and you get buddies like hey we're going canoeing you want to go and you're like yeah yeah i canoed right, i know right. how to do that i know the strokes right, right. exactly same thing with skiing too oh I sure mean, you know uh um, you know where else can you where else can you learn to ski and uh so did a lot of skiing and and you know though i don't know if i can get up now these days <laughs> on one but uh and you had like you had steve katz and dave Shear showing you how to do it probably back then is that well about the right dave time? was mu- dave was much dave. younger steve yes uh uh dave my you know dave you know when i was in cabin one maybe i've been in cabin nine or ah, something gotcha. you, know, you know something like that nice yeah. uh dave and i have become good friends through post camp yeah. uh, yes. i never met him before that yeah. and uh, it's nice he hosts the occasional poker game over at his house so we yeah. get some ojibwe guys together and but with dave with poker i don't know if it's a noun or a verb so <laughs> who, who knows but well played well played he is he is a good he is you know and, and, and really got to know him a lot more as we got older uh, yeah. i do remember then one time when dave was at university of illinois uh some of you know, the guys my age in high school, we went down to, uh, to visit and, you know, and, 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 uh, we were staying with Steve Teitelbaum who got us extremely drunk at <laughs> Sammy's party. And then, uh, sure. went to see Dave the next day and he was laughing at, at, at you know, the young, the young boys being hung over. <laughs> That's great. That actually points to something really important that, uh, I think we sort of take a little bit for granted, but it's a big part of, of what camp provides. And that's that, you know, the guys who are in college, who you know through camp, who are your yep. camp friends. But you as a high schooler, you know, that's a tough friendship in the real world. Yep. But at the camp world, you guys are best buddies because you've been in the cabin together. So well, you can just stroll in and hang out. And- yeah, Oj- Ojibwa is, uh, has been and always will be the greatest fraternity mm. of people. Uh, and, you know, for, for uh, um, you can, you know, everybody probably believes their years at camp are, is camp, right? Sure. And, 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 and it's, but there's kind of a rolling thing because when I started in 69, people were leaving. So they probably had their tenure from 59 or 57. Some are still hanging in there. Yeah. Uh, and then when I finally left in 77, there was somebody's first year, and we still know these kinds of people. And, and so you've got, from people that you actually know and touched, a couple decades or more of people, and that is your camp. And you know, we still see these people all the time. And, yeah, absolutely. You know, the 90th reunion will be, you know, a, a phenomenal uh, 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 get together of the tightest, most interesting fraternity I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and you know, so um, you know, it is part of Ojibwa lore. Hmm. I've now found that I'm at both a trivia question, part of Ojibwa lore, because I was on the back of the snowmobile that Elliot crashed. Of course. Well, let's not undersell it, because uh, there is no question that one of the great, I would say one of the top 10 stories in the history of Ojibwa is the snowmobile story. Yes. The snowmobile accident is legendary in so many ways. Unless you're on the back of it. (laughs) So now that I have you here in front of the mics, let's get the real story. Because also I will tell you, and I don't know if you know this, but Mick Sampson on this microphone said it was him. 
No. I knew it wasn't him. You no, know, it definitely wasn't. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't Mick want to disrespect Mick was the first one to show up afterwards. So so here's the story. So we would always go, not always, for, for many years, we would go snowmobiling over the winter, the winter trip that Elliot would plan. And, and there was, you know, it was fun, right? Talk, what we just talked about where there were there was a large range of ages of mm, people. Sure. I was probably in high school then, uh, but there were some people in college and out of college, and, you know, it, it was fun. Uh, and... Uh, so what happened was one of the things that we did was we would always go to Katie's house uh, uh, for lunch. And, uh, and so um, we were staying at what was then the Persian Paradise. We all came over. And Elliot almost never really snowmobiled. But he would get on it once during the trip. So I don't remember if I snowmobiled on the way over there or he had driven. Or, but it didn't make a difference. It, you know, people were always moving around amongst snowmobiles. Mm. But after lunch, it was time to go back. And, uh, and Elliot said, you know, I'll take my one, my, my one uh, trip on the snowmobile. So I said, okay. So I jump on the back, and we were heading down uh, the road uh, um, and where the, the Ojibwa sign is, really. So it's the back of the Ojibwa sign. Gotcha. Right? Um, it curves a little. And he was speeding up, and he wasn't used to, to going. May have hit some ice, but we went off the tangent of the thing straight into a tree, which was a pretty wide tree. I think it's still there. If you go down the road and look to the left, there's a big tree there. Gotcha. Uh, big enough so that like, the skis of the snowmobile kind of uh, um, went to each side of the tree. So, <laughs> And we were going pretty fast, and, it, and we hit and stopped dead. Elliot went... Over the over the uh, the uh, windshield or, wh- or whatever it's called yeah. of the snowmobile, he was wearing goggles that actually broke, and he got lucky because you know sort of like the the plastic of the goggle oh. went into uh, right about his eyebrow, and anything lower would straighten his eye. That looked to be the worst part because he was bleeding. Sure, I don't really know what happened. I know that I hit this hit the thing, and I went. Fortunately, I didn't go forward of it, you know, head into the tree because that could have been bad. And Elliot missed the tree, fortunately, too. Yeah. I went to the left, and I was winded like I have never been winded in my life. Wow. My entire chest cavity was locked. It seemed like a minute, probably was about 20 seconds, but I literally could not breathe. I mean, it was that was impact. I had no idea where Elliot was or anything. So um, uh, Mickey Sampson was the first one to show up. Elliot was bleeding, and, and you could see that Elliot was bleeding. I was not really, I, you know, I, I didn't really need the, te- the medical attention. Sure, that he you did. weren't visibly he, I wasn't visibly. I couldn't, but I couldn't breathe still, uh, and certainly shaken. Uh, and so what also, uh, so, so Mickey t- had this scarf that he had brought from, uh, I think it was Europe or something, where he had been playing soccer, and mm-hmm. he actually, so he, he, he sacrificed his, you know, his his uh, cherished, uh, his cherished uh, um, uh, scarf to to uh, you know stop the you know to stop the bleeding of Elliot. Wow. So what we also didn't know until days later is that he always went over. He also went over, and the windshield caught one or maybe both of his testicles, uh, and uh, and uh, and that probably was where the pain was coming from. But you know, 
He-Man that he was. Sure. He, he, did, he did not really say that. So then, you know, uh, a lot of damage to the snowmobile. We leave the next day, I think it was, or day after. I don't know if I really got back on the snowmobiles after that. Uh, and uh, we always traditionally would stop at Shriners uh, for lunch, mm. and everybody's out. L.A. could not get out of the car. He was literally in the car icing icing it down. <laughs> and uh, and, and so, no, still at that time, no one really knew what was going on until... Right. Days later, he must have gone to the doctor. I guess it was, you know, you know, blown up like a like a like a a bowling ball, from what I understand. But no, sure. it was not Mickey. It was it was me. So anyway, the wow. point of it is, I've now turned into a trivia question. Absolutely. And I now run into these kids who, you know, were born years, you know, after I I had stopped going, and they'll find out that I'm. It's sort of like this look in their your eye of like, oh my god. You know, I didn't know that for all those years that I was a Ojibwa that I've now turned into just that trivia question. Absolutely. Right. I joined Elliot uh, in Cabin 14 yeah. um, in 2003. So uh, we were co-counselors from then until he moved out of the cabin. Yeah. And so one of the great joys he took with those cr- groups are they were young enough that they didn't have any idea. They didn't even know there was a snowmobile story. Yeah. So the first weekend of camp, we always take them to the Dells. And during that trip, that we find a time yeah. for the whole group to sit out, and, yeah. and I'll be like, "Oh, Elliot, have you told them about yeah. this?" And yes, he's like, yeah. "Wow!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And suddenly we get into it, and of course their their minds are blown because they just can't get over the. F- and then they're like, "Oh my god, he only has one! How, yeah. what, how does that work?" Yeah, you know, yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. That well, <laughs> so exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So your name came, you know, started yes. to be a part of that story, and there. It I was. think one of the last uh, winter trips had nothing to do with people always seeming to break their ankles mm. or lose a testicle or crash the cars. <laughs> Or, As you do. or whatever it is, but I, one time we were driving back, and it was this horrendous ice storm. It was literally raining ice. So oh. my windshield wiper—I was driving that time, and my younger brother Mark was driving too. The windshield wiper was encased in ice, oh. and so we're on forty-five because that was the only way to go that time. And I remember I had you know three, four guys in my car, and my brother was driving someone, and I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I'm watching him do 360s on, on 45. Thank God no one was coming the other wow. way. And I'm getting mad. Like, what are you doing? So we literally had to drive them with our right wheels on the side, of, just off the side of the road, because that's the only traction that we had. Oh, wow. After that, it was, inc- I think that then the parents said this was just way too dangerous for these 16, 17-year-old kids driving up there. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's, right. that's pretty reasonable. It was too bad. It was, it was a great trip. Yeah. I've heard I a lot remember of remember one of the trips, uh, my, you know, going into one of the trips, um, I, um, I was in Florida with my family, and uh, so I was going to fly back early. I wasn't going to miss the trip by myself. I was probably 15 or 16 or something like that, and uh, I, think it was, I think it was actually Christmas Day. It was actually Christmas Day, and so I get to the airport, and who shows up? Steve Pollan is nice. on my flight. So we spent the entire time hitting the call button for to bring us drinks. And, and, you know, <laughs> back at that time, they did do that, too. Sure, right? of course. Yeah. <laughs> who, uh, you mentioned him. Who are some of the other guys who would go on the trip? I mean, I, I know Elliot. I know, obviously, Mick Sampson. Who yeah. are some of the other guys who would go on those uh, winter trips? Uh, God, over the years, uh, Barry Feldman would go, Rafi, uh, uh, Bobby Kaufman, uh, Brakishin, um, uh, boy. Uh, and no offense to anyone yeah. who we, who we don't think of. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, so going through your camper years, uh, you mentioned a couple of guys, but I wanted to ask you about, uh, you had a brother at camp, a younger brother, two brothers, at camp. Yeah. Two brothers at camp. Right, right. Are they both, they're both younger? Yes. Both younger. Yeah. So what is it like to be the big brother at camp? 
Uh, and I ask this because in my experience, there's been, there's two types of brothers at camp. There's the brothers who hang out, see each yeah. other every day. And there's the brothers who say goodbye at the bus <laughs> and say hello when they get back on the bus to go home for the summer. You know, I, I, I never really thought about it. I think it was just, more, you know, uh, so at camp it, it was, since we were never really in the same leagues together, right? Mm-hmm. There was a, we were never in the same leagues together. We didn't necessarily compete against each other. Uh, so there was none of that. I would say, you know, getting back to the idea that it was the greatest fraternity is um, um, certainly with Mark, who's two years younger than me, more than Babe, who's two years younger than Mark, uh, his camp friends from that time and then subsequently are also my friends, too. I see. Uh, so, so, you know, there was and we could all sit around like, you know, every other Ojibwa person talk about um, the various collegiate weeks Sure. And, the, and, and the big games that you'd watch on the campus and, and the various stories. And while, you know, all the guys of my age, we tell our stories, we can tell them equally as well and in, in, in sync with, uh, with, uh, with, you know, people, uh, my brother's age, yeah. even, even yesterday, uh, Kenny Gorlick sent me a, a, a picture, uh, from, with Otto Schmidt and someone else from the, uh, from the, uh, kitchen staff, you know, with, you know, baked goods in front of them. And, nice. You know, and I think the thing was Baker's extraordinaire. It was me, <laughs> and then all the guys his age in that uh, in that in that uh, email. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, so going through your camp years, uh, who are some of your guys who are your either in your age group or just guys who you become really tight with? Who are your guys? As so uh, you know, it, you know, f- uh, I was probably in in a. Ca- I know I was in cabin every cabin with uh, Dutch Pollen, uh, Mark Bartlestein, uh, and then uh, and then along the way Dan Nickow. Uh, Steve Bear, um, uh, you know, I know in the, uh, you know, in the, in the big four of, of Cabin 13, it sure. was me, Pollen, uh, Nick Allen, Bartlestein. Wow. Uh, uh, so we kind of made our way all the way through there. Um, uh, and interestingly, um, you know, a lot of people were Highland Park High School too. And, it, 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 and, and uh, one of the things that I didn't realize until later on is that, um, my first year of high school was probably made even better. And I had, uh, as you know, the various junior highs in Highland Park came together, mm. um, uh, I uh, knew well all these other guys from <clears throat> Highland Park and Deerfield. And oh, sure. we had this sort of, you know, ready-made friends when I think I watched in hindsight some of the guys that I went to junior high with they couldn't cross fertilize because they didn't have uh, the familiarity or the fraternity backing them up. Sure. And I think I had a far greater high school experience. And then those guys that uh, both were in high school and we hung out, you know, not exclusively, but a lot, but also at camp, we just had much more of some, you know, pact, if you will. Yeah. And that it, makes sense. And, and, yeah. it, and it, it spilled over to a, you know, a 12 month, you know, sort of, uh, not that we, we wouldn't sit around the cafeteria in Highland Park talking about collegiate week, but there was just some. There was just well, not all there. the time. Right, that's right. <laughs> and also, you know, you talked about the older people. Is as a freshman, you know, there was there was some uh, there were some big brothers watching over you who were Ojibwe guys. Hmm. Uh, I remember, you know, you, you know, there, there's nothing, there's no lower life form in the world than a freshman high school boy. Right, that's the Absolutely. lowest life form that there possibly <laughs> the very possibly bottom of the barrel, is, right? And you know, and you're you're really you know, you know prepubescent, but you know, but you're on there. But 
Um, and, and it's different when there's high school seniors, you know, those, these are men at this point, they're sure. shaving, you know, and I remember <laughs> that there was, uh, there was the infamous glass hall at Highland Park High School and that, you know, that's where, you know, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get picked on or whatever, but I see. there were some, uh, there were some Ojibwa guys that were always watching over me as I went through it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. Right. So going through your staff, uh, your camper years, yeah. um, you eventually become a staff man. Now, yes. are you a JC and an SC or no, just, a JC. just JC? Right. So how did that change for you? What was it? Did you like it better? Did you like it? Was it not as fun? Um, uh, it was different. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it you know, it was, it was equally as fun. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not real work. Uh, right. Uh, it, it's not real work. <laughs> right. You're not digging ditches. I right. Mean, not digging ditches. And, and, you know, we, you know, the, the drinking age in, in Wisconsin was 18. No one ever counted you. So we were 16 or, you know, you know, we, we were going, we were then, so we, we were then hanging out with the SCs and the JCs and all sure. that on a different level than we had before. And so, uh, um, while, you know, you got to know people older just from being around, but also the way the collegiate collegiate week teams would force you to mesh and, and mm. know the people and sure. sit at those tables and rehearse the stunts and the song nights and you got to know the people uh um uh it was it was just another way to get to know people as as young adults or adults which yeah. it was so I, I liked being a counselor i mean i if i had my choice i wouldn't have chose to be in cabin one i thought maybe you know, <laughs> it was it was great and you know i uh david rosen was one of my campers, and I, and, I, and, I, and I kind of either felt a little bit more pressure, or, sure. or maybe I felt I was handpicked to watch over. One of the I think two. that's a better way to feel that's about right. it, yeah, even one of, one of those whatever two. the truth might yeah, be. Yeah, right. Wow. The only good thing about cabin one is you don't realize is that in about 15 minutes are asleep. Right, uh, right. That uh, is definitely if, the underrated part. If you've got the 12-year-olds or whatever, they're up all night, and you don't realize it. Yeah. So there were some... Some of the benefits of being a cabin one. Yeah, being with the sixteen-year-olds. I mean, it, it is rare that I'm in, that they're in bed before me. That's I mean, right. it's yeah, just, that's right. you know, we try, but right. Right. you know, you do what you can. Right. Uh, David Rosen, that's great. That, but that makes me think about. So, uh, I never, uh, obviously, I never had the fortune of meeting yeah. Alan Pearl. Yeah. Um, Alan Pearl during your time, they're still a big part of camp. Sure. But Mickey and Denny are kind of, I guess, by the time you leave, probably they're sort of running camp. More or less, or oh, Al uh, Pearl for sure. By the time I left, was still a, a, a Al Pearl was still a big presence. I got you. Uh, I, mean, I would say uh, they between the four of them, and you throw in Sandy and and and, uh, and Riva, and Riva. You know, they they were they were running the camp, and gotcha. while some of it was uh, from you know from a campers or even a counselor standpoint, you know, less o- overt of who was doing what. You know, I there see. was yeah, you know, but Danny had been the program director at that point for a long time, and 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 it was clear that you know there was like upper management and counselors were at that point then years difference in age. Sure, it wasn't probably the same thing as when you know when Denny was there in the late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's interesting. That's actually a thing that I think cycles through camp because there's times when uh, there's sort of a quick step ladder. There's there's 20 year olds, there's 22 year olds, there's 24 year olds, and then like 30 year olds are doing yeah. the program. And then there's times when the gap is you know there's 20 year olds and there's 35 year olds, right. right? You know, right. and and it, it it is different. I mean, it's uh, I don't know if the campers feel it, but certainly I think the staff get a different feeling from a yeah. I think I think so. Uh, you know, I I I don't know if age. You know, when I was in cabin one, two, and three, the age didn't mean anything. Sure, so of I'd, course, they were just. They were the owners, and they were, you know, you know, even though Denny wasn't the owner then, I know when subsequently changed, you know, he was clearly head staff and, and, and had a family, and it was, right. it was clearly different. 
Right. Now, you, you've already mentioned, uh, but let's get into arguably the greatest sporting event in the history of all sporting events ever, and that's, of course, Collegiate Week. Right. Uh, what was your history with – how did Collegiate Week go for you? Never won the week. <laughs> that's it. And that's, that's and it. That, that's the and one. That, and that's, that's the one question. And that's everyone. I did come in second twice. Okay. Uh, and I came in second uh, my second year – at 13, I was the third pick of that year. Oh. And interestingly, we came out seemingly from uh, the back of the pack. We were about mid-pack. And, you know, I kind of could tell that we had, you know, the, our, our schedule strength was near the end. Nice. And, and, and I remember, you know, we were in 13, and we were all showering in, uh, in the old shower house. And I could hear some of the guys said, ah, bore's out of it, you know, you know, and I'm just so pissed, right? I was so <laughs> mad. And, and so, you know, I doubled down the effort and really it was a surprise when Paul James played the, played the piano mm. that uh, Wisconsin had come and said, Al Futransky was our, uh, our, uh, our head coach. Too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Is that like 70, is that, 70, that was 70, 76, uh, is that too late? Uh, 76, I think. Right yeah. on. Yeah, be seventy six because it was the year before my last year. Right? There you go. That's the, I think that's Futrancy's last year before the later years when he came I think back. That, I think that's right. Yeah, it, it was fun to hang out with him, and you know, and, and admittedly, I was the third pick, but I was certainly not the third best athlete. But uh, but he had said to me, said. The other guy, I'll go on, who went fourth week, said, I could spend a week with him. <laughs> That's the key. That's yeah, the big key that's to right. Collegiate Week, right? right. You've got to be able to like, like right. each other yeah. for a whole right. week. Yeah. Well, one piece of Collegiate Week that can never be avoided, of course, is the stage. Yes. And in general, uh, I've often said that, you know, while we are a sports camp, yeah. the one thing you would never expect is how much time right. the stage gets used. Right. Uh, is that an area where you took part? I would have loved to, but I, as you can probably tell from my hoarse voice, I couldn't I couldn't carry a tune for ah. Ellen. And so I think maybe I, I was never in the Ojibwa singers. Sure. I was in the chorus, maybe because when I got older, relative to a eight, nine, ten year old, my voice was slightly deeper. <laughs> and I think Elliot may have just put me on, you know, for gratuitous this. Nice. Uh, uh, but I, I would have liked to. And as it turns out, then my sec my my uh, my w- one year, I can't remember one year I was the first pick. Uh, I was going to sing a song. It would be the first time ever I was sing a song, and the stunt was too long, and they cut it out. And it was probably for everybody's benefit, <laughs> mine, mine included. That's amazing. Yeah, so uh, I did enjoy it, though. And, and to the other things, uh, to your point, um, where we learned a lot and didn't appreciate it, there was a, uh, a, you know, a, a, a whole bunch of people, and we know that a lot of people have gone on to do things professionally. Mm, uh, we learned a lot about it, and I think it gave us this unbelievable appreciation for Broadway and, uh, and singing. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, we still, you know, we, we still will now sing the fight songs, but there was still a lot of that stuff that, uh, that was inculcated in us and was a part of our brains that, despite being a competitive sports camp, really rounded us out probably like no other place could yeah. know, unless you went to a drama camp somewhere. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I've told Elliot, like, I, I don't know if he understands the influence that he had. I mean, yes, right. specifically uh, exactly what you're talking yeah. about. I mean, here's, here's generations of guys who would not, who would never listen to show to no. hello, Dolly. What is that? But, or, you know, or, Carousel or and, for Chicago too. Right. Not only that, it's not like we were in New York where there is. Right, exactly. And he bringing the albums and bringing yeah. the hi-fi and going to town and, Singing the stuff. And, Still, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I, and on Sirius Radio, I'll still go to 72, 
go to the Broadway thing and see if maybe I can hear one of the songs from <laughs> That's true. From Ojibwa. One will pop up. And yeah. I will tell you that to this day, so he and I still share an office, and yeah. I will tell you that probably 80% of the days, one of us is playing show tunes. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, sort, of, sort of wrapping up, there's two things I always ask at the end. Yeah. So I'll, ask, I'll tell you one so you can kind of have it in the back of your brain while you answer yeah. the other. And that is I'll ask you to, to end with just one great story, one great yeah. camp story. Um, and you've obviously told the greatest one ever, so yes, the, right. the second one. And then secondly... Uh, you're a grown up now. Um, you've Go got a, few, a few years under your belt. Yeah. Um, how would you say that your time at Camp Ojibwa affected your life? Well, uh, you know, I um, uh, I would say that there are you know there are three or four things in your life besides getting born, of course, that really affect your life. And and uh, and uh, for not only uh, being able to grow up, right? It's really the first time you go away, and you have to you know learn how to make your bed and clean your stuff and you know that kind of stuff but just the people that you get to know and uh, and while it was admittedly a somewhat homogeneous group you know when you're eight nine years old and you're meeting people for the first time and you're getting along it's not so homogeneous mm. and then is you know as i touched on a few times chris is the fraternity is strong and and you know i would say that so of the major things in my life getting married having kids choosing what college you go to Ojibwa is as deep into my DNA as any one of those other things mm. and still is and and uh, and even if I wasn't li- I didn't live in Chicago all the time it was still into I mean when I was living in New York uh, Elliot and Mike Bagan were in town we went out sure. I was living in uh, San Francisco and my plane got uh, diverted one one time I couldn't get to San Francisco so I was in LA so I stayed with Mickey Sampson we went up to the opening of the Dodgers game uh, you know wherever in, nice. in, in Arizona wherever you are there you know you're going to see somebody here in Chicago fortunately there's still a lot of people yeah. but it's clearly one of the uh, primary influencers in myriad ways that I can you know I don't stop to think of every day except when I see those people yeah awesome all right tell me one great camp story well, I did tell the great. I told you there was another one that I remember. Uh, uh, I think it was Denny's party a little while ago that uh, Knock or someone had told. But uh, uh, when we were in cabin thirteen, um, uh, you know, I was fifteen, but Dan Nickow was sixteen, and Mark Gordon was fifteen, and Dan had his license, and uh, and somebody I can't remember who it was now. It was Paul James. Yeah, he said, "Well, take the car." So we were supposed to be, you know, we were campers. So we we we, you know, we, we wanted to go out, right? Sure, we wanted to go out. So you know, a dam was legal. You know, it's not that we were breaking camp rules, but we weren't we weren't breaking we weren't breaking the law. Right. So we we, we went out. We went down. We and then we were so afraid that we couldn't go to Eagle River. We might see one of the one of the counselors. We went to Three Lakes. What did Ooh. we do there? Nothing. We did absolutely nothing there. We used the phone. You know, we, we called girlfriends, and then sure. we, and then we came back. So we're coming back down. We're coming back down the, uh, uh, coming up to the far field, and we see Knock and Elliot out there. And, you know, I'm saying, run through them, run them over. They don't know it's us. <laughs> Meanwhile, of course, they knew it was us. And, right. you know, we pulled over, and needless to say, uh, um, we didn't get in as much trouble because it never made it up to head staff, but it wasn't overly good. <laughs> that, so, so that was that was fun. That was uh you know, there are thousands and thousands of stories, yeah. uh, some of which, unfortunately, I probably can't even remember. But every now and then they'll come back from whatever reason. And, uh, and uh, I can't think of any of them that were bad. Mm. Well, that's what it's all about, right? Right. That's it. Well, thank you so much for this. Thank this you. was awesome.
Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Brian Borstein. I said Borstein earlier. Sorry. Uh, how incredible is that story? I mean, one of the most legendary stories in the history of camp. And he was right there. Literally right there. So that's amazing. Thank you, Brian, for an excellent episode. And that brings OJ90 Week to a close. Thank you guys for listening, uh, bringing you something new every day this week. I'm sure your your podcast player is full, so you'll have to do a little catching up with us, which is fine. We won't be back until next week, but we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast. Until then, if you want to get in touch with me, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampoJibbaHistory.org or swing by the website, CampoJibbaHistory.org. You can check out and get your bricks there. You can check out the updates we've done there. And of course, I'll say it one last time, May 6th, 2017 at the Western North Shore of Chicago, OJ90, the biggest reunion in the history of Camp Ojibwe. Swing by OJ90 and get all those details. 